powerful Word of God can change lives, heal broken hearts, save man's soul. Lord Jesus, today, speak to me in Jesus' name. Amen. Now look at your neighbor and say, Whoo, it's a firecracker weekend. Oh, did all of you get to shoot off fireworks? I got to sit at home and watch mine on TV. I had the best seat in the house. Watched them in the New York Harbor go off of Brooklyn Bridge. It was awesome. Got to see some singers sing and lip sync. They tried to lip sync and didn't do too good, some of them. But, uh, hey, nevertheless, it was awesome. And uh, it's always a blessing. And Cindy and I went to the theater last night and watched Wicked. And if you haven't seen that, uh, you got you got to get there today because it's done <laughs> today. But, boy, it's a, it's a great, great show. And we're blessed in Tulsa to have things like that. So if you haven't availed yourself of that in the past, you ought to. They're, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. We are in our series, The Story. It's not just our story, it's God's story. We're on Jesus, the Son of God. That's where we are in our story study. Uh, I've enjoyed this series. It's uh, been a long series. We're in week 25. Uh, taking us about, it's going to end up taking us around six months to do, but that's okay. I uh, hope you've enjoyed it. hope you've learned. And uh, somebody said, well, where are we going to go from here? I said, well, there's nothing else to say. We can close the church. We're done. <laughs> no. Uh, probably need to go back over a few things, don't we? <laughs> we start all over. That's right, Bill. Today I want us to start in Mark chapter 8. So if you have those Bibles you held up, let's go to Mark chapter 8. Because there's an interesting dialogue that happens here in, in Mark chapter 8, beginning at verse 27. It says, Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he, that is Jesus, asked them, that is the disciples, who do people say I am? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, all just one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked, who do you say I am? I always like Peter. Peter's a lot like me, or I'm a lot like him. I tend to just shoot it out there. <laughs> Sometimes I don't think about it until it's already gone. Peter's one of those guys. So Peter jumps up and says, you are the Christ. You are the Christ. So who do you say I am? Peter says, off the cuff, probably not thinking it through, you are the Christ. I mean, after all, they had seen Jesus walk on the water, and I would probably say, I wonder who this guy is. They saw him feed multitudes out of practically nothing, 
Wouldn't you want to know who that who, who is this guy? Cleared the temple. I mean, cleared the temple. Who is this guy? Heals, he teaches, people follow him. Even Peter himself was one of the first called when he said, throw down your nets and follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. It says that they just dropped their nets and left. Who is he? Who is Jesus? Peter asked the question before, so we have two and millions of other people will have to answer the question, who is Jesus? At some point, you've answered that question, who Jesus is. C.S. Lewis is one of my favorite authors, writers of the last century. C.S. Lewis said that you basically have three options when it comes to answering the question of who is Jesus. And they all start with the letter L. He was either a liar a lunatic, or Lord. And so for a brief moment, I want us to kind of consider that. And there's two questions I'm going to ask you today. And the first question is this. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Well, some would say he's a liar. And some would say that. Now, if you look around you, you see in in sports and in politics, we see a lot of liars. (laughs) In sports, I think of the man Lance, Lance Armstrong. For years, held records that seemed insurmountable. And no one was ever going to match or beat, only to find out. Though he denied it, Strongly, only to find out that he was what they call a doper. Alex Rodriguez, first baseball player to make $25 million to play baseball. Also a fine, upstanding young man. (laughs) Using... Enhancing drugs. But as I was researching this, I ran across an article that listed the top ten political liars. I couldn't believe the list, number one. And it didn't stop at just ten, I did. (laughs) The list was incredible. So I thought it would be fun to just kind of... Now, again, this is based on what this article said. It... Some of these names could go in different places for you. And uh, Anyway, here's, here's, here's the ten I thought were fun. Number ten, Dick Cheney. All-time political liars. Number nine, Harry Reid. Number eight, George W. Bush. Number seven kind of caught me off guard. Joseph McCarthy. Number six, Al Sharpton. Number five, Bill Clinton. I never had sex with that woman, Monica Lewinsky. Number four, to me ought to be number one, but number four, (laughs) Nancy Pelosi. Number three, Barack Obama. Number two, John Edwards. 
Number one, biggest political liar, according to this article. Any guess? Richard Nixon. <laughs> Richard Nixon. I could say that list could have varying names on it. How do people see you and me? Do they see us as truthful? Or could we fall into some top ten list of liars? Jesus' favorite description of himself, which some would say was a scandalous statement, he called himself the Son of Man. Eighty times that's mentioned in the Gospels. Seventy-nine times Jesus calls himself that. A few examples, Luke 9.22 says, The Son of Man must suffer many things. Luke 9.58, Jesus replied, Foxes have dens, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Mark 13.26, At that time people will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. People in that day, because the New Testament had not been written, would have been reminded of Daniel chapter 7. In verses 13 and 14 of Daniel chapter 7, it says, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into His presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped Him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and His kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Now, this description in Daniel doesn't exactly line up with the way that Jesus presented himself, at least not yet. At least not yet. You remember they were looking for a conqueror king, Messiah. Someone who would ride in on a white stallion and set up kingdom for them to rule. And so we see a man in history called Maccabeus. wasn't his original name. He was given that name from the uh, book of Maccabees. And if you are familiar with the Catholic version of the Bible, they have included in the 400 years of silence, there's a book called the Apocryphal Books that go in between the Old and New Testament. And the book of Maccabees is one of those. And it's, it's historical in its nature, but not necessarily blessed of God and written by the Holy Spirit and so forth. But there's an interesting story about this Maccabeus. And you're talking about a warrior. This guy was a warrior. I mean, he won battle after battle after battle after battle. And people wanted him to rise to be the leader, but he never really wanted to. He wanted to be on the field. He wanted to be out in the battle. He wanted to be in the fight. He didn't want to sit behind the desk. He wanted to get out front and get in the action. But because he was like he was, he was elevated in the eyes of people. And so many of them were looking for this type of person. And so during that 400 years of silence, to see an individual like this rise, you could see how some people would say, Ooh, is this the Messiah? But it wasn't the Messiah that God was going to send. They weren't looking for the kind of Messiah that actually did come. 
They expected someone to establish a kingdom, to be able to overthrow these enemies. And in the eyes of God's people, he would have been, Jesus would have been a failure. So he would be considered a liar just because of the way he was. I mean, when he called himself the Son of Man. Liar? Or secondly, lunatic? Lunatic? I mean, Jesus was a crazy guy. He was out of his mind. Well, just this verse in John chapter 6, verses 57 through, 55 through 57, it says, for, I mean, listen to this, it sounds, it sounds weird. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in, he, I in them, just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father. So the one who feeds on me will live because of me. Now, if you just read that at face value and you don't know Jesus the way you and I know Jesus, you think the man's talking about cannibalism. Doesn't make any sense at all. He's a lunatic. He's nuts. Kind of like the person in history called Baron Munchausen. I hope I'm saying that right. He was a German baron who served in the military and returned home with the tall tales about his adventures. He reportedly told people that he had traveled to the moon. He had ridden cannonballs and escaped from the swamp by pulling himself out by his own hair. And his adventures became the subject of many books. Over the years, the tales of Munchausen have become popular, especially stories for children. And in 1988, a filmmaker named Terry Gilliam adapted some of the stories into a movie called The Adventures of Baron Munchausen. There are two psychological disorders that are named after him. There's the Munchausen Syndrome, which is a, it's a disorder which... Someone feigns illness in order to get attention. And then there's the Munchausen syndrome by proxy. <laughs> and it's a disorder in which a caregiver, usually the mother, fakes or induces illness in a child or someone else in his or her care in order to gain attention and sympathy. <laughs> Munchausen is an interesting character. Some of us are interesting characters. Could a lunatic do what Jesus did? You see, lunatics attract a following that they create. Throw a couple of names at you. How about Adolf Hitler? Now, he had some real stalwart followers, did he not? How about Osama bin Laden? Oh, they're still following a dead man. And they're very radical about it. And they make no bones about what they're planning to do and how they're going to do it. Taking Christians and crucifying them. Did you know that? You want to be a Christian? Fine, then you're going to die like Jesus did and they're hanging them on a cross. Nailed them to a cross. It's awesome. Lunatics. How about David Koresh?
How about Charles Manson? Something about that name just still grabs you, doesn't it? If you're old enough to know who he is. And he's an old man now. He's in his 80s. Old guy. But each of these people tended to make people worse. Jesus, on the other hand, would always make people better. Did you notice that? So people who followed Jesus were better than when he found them. And you can judge a leader by his followers. Lunatics don't lead like Jesus led. And lunatics don't teach like Jesus taught. In John chapter 7, the officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, Why did you not bring him? The officers answered, No one ever spoke like this man. Just the very words and the style of teaching and how Jesus presented himself made these guards, these soldiers say, Whoa, whoa, whoa. We're not dealing with a lunatic here. No one ever spoke the way this man does. You see, when Jesus taught, it was very lucid, it was very understandable, and very convicting within our hearts and within the hearts of people. So, it could be a liar, it could be a lunatic, as C.S. Lewis said, and then thirdly, he could be Lord. So if he isn't a liar or a lunatic, then he must be Lord. Right? Well, in John 8, 12, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In John 8, 58, I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. Powerful word, by the way, I am, that phrase. When Moses needed proof of who he was before Pharaoh, God told him to say, I am sent me. But probably the most incredible verse is John fourteen six. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. That's not fourteen six. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to me or comes to the Father but by me. I see if any of you were catching on. So the first question I would ask you today is, who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus in your life? And then the second question, equally as important and much more penetrating is, what is our response to the first question? If Jesus is who He says He is, what do we do about that? Because if He's a liar, turn your back. Turn your back to him. Walk away. If he's a lunatic, just say, man, this guy's nuts. He's crazy. There's no way I'm going to listen to what he says. But if he is Lord, he's going to ask us to do something even more incredible. Mark 8.34, he calls the crowd to him along with his disciples and says, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, And follow me. So if He is Lord, we need to deny, to take up our cross, 
and to follow. So there's action that follows if He's Lord in our life that we must do. First is, we've got to deny. Deny what? Deny what you want. It's not about you anymore. Never really has been, but it's never about you. Fellas, once you get married, don't you realize how quickly it is that it's not about you anymore? Yeah, it's not about you anymore. And you can try all you want to to make it about you, but it's not ever going to be about you anymore. Once you get married, it ain't about you anymore. And then what's fun is for moms to find out, for women to find out, that once they have babies, (laughs) it really ain't about them anymore. And dad even slides further down the line. It's about those babies. And whatever those babies need, that's what those babies are going to get. That's what I love about being a grandparent. I just have fun, fun, fun. I saw a deal on Facebook a few weeks ago. It said, granddads teach their grandkids stuff they hadn't thought of yet. I said, I found my lot in life. Amen. Now, Peter had the audacity in Mark 8 to rebuke Jesus. Peter expected the Messiah to come and to conquer. I mean, he's thinking like Daniel, Maccabean, or Maccabeus. But John 8.35 is a pivotal verse, and it's a very important verse. For whoever, Jesus says, whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. And in context, when Jesus' audience would have heard him say, take up your cross, they wouldn't have thought about salvation like you and I do because we see him on the other side of the cross. When they would hear this passage, he hadn't died yet. They would have went to Deuteronomy in chapter 21 that talked about anyone that hung on a tree would be under God's curse. But Romans would have thought something a little different. The cross was a way that the Romans would kill political revolutionaries. And they couldn't kill all the people in the revolution, but they could kill the leader, and that would send a message and and, and calm everything down. And the existence of a cross says that the revolution has failed. But it's a foundational moment for the disciples because they thought Jesus was taking them to triumph and victory when He actually was leading them to death and failure based on how the world sees things. While the cross does not save us, no, while the cross does save us, it also defines how we're supposed to live. You know, the cross saves us. But it also defines how we're supposed to live. And it's backwards. It sounds, it sounds crazy. The first will be last. Whoever humbles himself should be exalted. Turn the other cheek. Sell your possessions. Give to the poor. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Do not worry. Have faith in God when all the cards are stacked against you. Doesn't make sense. And yet, when we practice that, doesn't it work? Amen? It works. Jesus' teaching makes no sense apart from the cross. Because at the cross is where we die also. To ourselves, to our sin, to what motivates us. 
Jesus is calling us to die. To die to ourselves. So that He can live through us. Galatians 2.20 I have been crucified with Christ and it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me and the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered Himself up for me. Taking up our cross should become our way of life. Our way of life. C.S. Lewis again. Let me quote from him. Give me all of you. I don't want so much of your time, so much of your talents and money, and so much of your work. I want you, all of you. I have not come to torment or frustrate the natural man or woman, but to kill it. No half measures will do. I don't want to only prune a branch here and a branch there. Rather, I want the whole tree out. Hand it over to me, the whole outfit, all your desires, all your wants and wishes and dreams. Turn them all over to me. Give yourself to me and I will make you a new self in my image. Give yourself and exchange I will give you myself. My will shall become your will. My heart shall become your heart. Jesus says, come to the cross with me and I will give you a new kind of life. The God kind of life. What is lordship? Jesus' call for us to give every area of our life to Him. Our money, our time, our talents, our thoughts. Every piece we're supposed to give to Him. What we watch, how we speak. I love people that have an issue with cussing. And they'll let out a cuss word and then they'll say, oh, pardon my French. And I've told you this story before when a guy did that to me and I said, man, a miracle just happened. He said, how's that? I said, I don't understand French, but I understood everything you just said. Isn't it funny how if they find out you're a preacher, they all of a sudden their lives straighten up real quick. And they talk about how they used to be in church and they used to do this and they used to do that. And I so much, you know, I've tried to be very gracious over the years, but the older I get, the more I want to say to them. And I'm trying to figure out a way to graciously say it. Maybe there's no graceful way to say it. But I, I just want to look at them and say, so what happened? Why did you decide you're going to heaven now you're going to hell? What's what's wrong? Wouldn't that be fun to say? I just might start doing that. I don't know. Lordship. Lordship also ought to affect the way we live in our community. We ought to be serving other people. Amen? Just need to look around. It's, it's easy to find somebody to serve. When you're checking out, you ever, you ever gone through the drive through and paid for the person behind you? You ought to try it, man. It's great. It's great. Just pay for them. Just say, hey, I don't know. What, what are they having behind me? My luck, it's a carload of teenagers, you know, <laughs> whatever. Doesn't matter. Just go ahead and pay for it. It's a lot of fun. You don't know them. You may never see them again. And they don't have a chance to tell you thank you because you're going to speed off and, and be gone. They're not going to track you down. But they'll be blessed. What's our mission? Who are we as a church? Do we serve this community? Do we serve our neighborhoods? Do we serve people? 
less fortunate than us? It may just be simply saying, hello, how are you doing today? It could be a smile, it could be a hug, it could be what, you know what I'm saying? It doesn't have to be something huge. It doesn't cost you a thing. Just a little bit of time. So Jesus, the Son of Man, Jesus, the Son of God, Jesus, has He made a difference in your life? Let's be reminded of John 8.35 again. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will do what? Save it. Father, I ask you this morning, as we consider you as the Son of God, you as the Son of Man, you as our Redeemer God, would we consider what we're going to do with you? Sometimes it's very easy. To answer that question, sometimes it's really easy to say, well, this is what I would do or this is what I wouldn't do or here's the area that I'll draw the line in. But God, the bottom line is this. Are we practicing Galatians 2.20? Are we crucifying ourselves so that you live, not us? Are we truly denying ourselves and taking up our cross and following you? Or are we just are those just words that we've used over the years? You see, God, I don't know what's in the heart of each person here, but I do know what's in your heart. And so our prayer today and every day is that we truly live the way you've called us to live. Be who you've called us to be. And when we say we are a Christian, that we truly, truly mean it. And live it. And display it. Father, there may be somebody here today that needs to make a decision of some kind. I want to give them that opportunity. This is your time in their hearts. And if they need to make a decision of any kind, just if they need prayer, if they let us know, we'd be glad to pray with them and over them. God, whatever you need to do, whatever stirring you need to take place, may it happen today in Jesus' name. Amen.